0: Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. It is good to be with you today. We're starting a new series today called Good, Good, Father. And uh, we are very excited to talk about God as father. It's my favorite metaphor of God. He is our father, but he's not just a father like your father. He is a perfect father and your father is not or was not a perfect father. Later on in this series, we're going to actually dive into that question of what kind of dad did you have and how did that affect you? What if, if you see things about yourself that you question, why is it like that way? Sometimes by looking at the way your father treated you or interacted with you can give a lot of insight into that. So we're going to kind of get more into that later. But today we're not going to fo- focus so much on God as a uh, father. Today we're going to more answer the question, is he good? Because that's really the part of the good, good father thing that the world is questioning a lot, right? Is God good? good. But I think in order to answer this question, you have to to answer more than just the history of what he's done in the world. Because we believe God isn't just good, he's perfect. Like good is a massive understatement. He, He is absolutely perfect in every way. Every decision he has ever made, everything he has ever done has been exactly perfect. No flaw in it. But the reality is most people who say not as good and it, that God is not good and make that case using maybe a historical event that they are not happy with or maybe the problem of evil or the problem of pain in the world and, or they point to something that maybe it's the way the church treated them. They, point to, they, point, they try to point to an intellectual fact that argues that God is not good. But the truth is, most people who say God is not good are saying that from a very emotional place. Something happened to them personally. They they feel emotional about something. And so today we're going to talk about God's goodness by talking about his love. Because not only is God perfect, are his decisions perfect, but his love is perfect. And the reason why he will always interact with you perfectly is because his love for you is perfect. Paul tells the church in Rome, God showed his great love for you, by, for us, by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for a friend. Yet for an enemy? For somebody who is actively rebelling against and sinning against you, you die for them. What greater love, active love, can there possibly be? That is how good God's love for you is. He's not just good. He's perfectly good. God is the definition of good. Why? Because God is perfectly Uh, Mark Lewis is a professor at Wheaton College, and Mark tells a story about when he was six years old, and um, both of his parents worked when he was six, and so he was actually home alone one day waiting for his parents to come home from work, and uh, he loved his parents, and he wanted to show his parents how much he loved them, and he knew that they were having a really hard time and working extra hours, and so he decided that he was going to paint a mural for his parents. He's a super artistic guy. He still to this day is, is a painter. And so he painted a giant mural to show his parents how much he loved them. You know where he painted this mural? On the wall in their house. And so his parents come home after work and they're tired and a little frustrated already. And they get home and he says, Mom, Dad, come here. And he takes them to the back and he shows them the mural that he's painted for his parents. And rather than getting the joy and hug and celebration moment that he was expecting, he got a spanking. He got disciplined. And that was that, that was the end of that. They painted over the mural and and it was over. Flash forward, Mark uh, then gets married later in life and he has a daughter. And he tells a story about when his daughter was six years old. He was working late, and he also was teaching evening classes at this time. And so he was teaching. He came home for dinner real quick, and then he was going to have to go right back to the school for teaching. And he was tired, so he sat down on the couch before dinner. And he looked over, and his six-year-old daughter was filling a bucket full of water, hot water. And just as she's about to be done filling the bucket, she dumps the bucket. All, it, it, it all pours out all over the ground. And it's more than he can handle. And he starts yelling at his daughter, what are you doing? Didn't you know this is what would happen? And his wife came over to Mark and he said, he, she was filling a bucket of water so she could wash and massage your feet because she knew you were tired. And in that moment, he felt regret. He realized what he had done. And he went over and he helped her refill the bucket and he gave her a big hug and he apologized. And then he said, This he said, My parents got it all wrong. I got it half wrong. Maybe my daughter will get it all right. And this is the reality of parenting and in all relationships. We will all get it wrong. We will all make mistakes. We are going to cause problems in our children's futures. Because we're going to mess up. We will all get love wrong. There is only one person in all of history who has gotten love right every single time. Only God is perfectly loving. When I was a, a kid, our Christian school uh, that I that I grew up in used to put on these Christmas musicals every year where the kids would get up and sing and do a little bit of acting in between the songs. And th- this was like, Everything in our in our school is Christian school like this was the big event of the year, the Christmas program. And every single year, my twin brother, who was a foot taller than me, got the lead role in our Christmas play because he's a jerk. And he, all, and every year, I'd my, 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 go to my parents and be like, why does he get the lead role? Why is Why does the teacher like him more than me? And every year, my hatred for my brother would just build and build and build. And I got more and more jealous and more and more angry. And it wasn't just that. He's like better at basketball and more popular and all that stuff. So I was just so jealous of my brother all growing up. And it seriously did get to the point of, I don't know if you can call it hatred or not, but it sure felt like hatred. Until one year, finally, I got the lead role in the play. I was a little crippled kid called Big Will in this play. And I got the lead singing role, and I, 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 I was so proud of getting this role. In fact, after the play, the girl that I thought was the cutest, you know, her name was Barbara. I, was, I loved Barbara. I never told anybody. If, I hope Barbara never sees this because I never told her. We used to sing together a lot. I, I thought Barbara was everything. And she told me how great I did in my, in my acting and in my singing in this play. And I just thought, I've made it. I've accomplished everything I need to accomplish in life. I've reached the pinnacle. And I felt really good in that moment. As I reflect on that, I, I realize, and I, I know, maybe even me, because I'm an Enneagram 3 more than others, but our happiness is incredibly dependent on what other people think of us. We'll go to the next slide, please. Our happiness is too dependent on what other people think of us. Well, guess what? A little girl that complimented me and, and said how great I was, not too long after that, she started dating my brother. Uh, you want to talk about pain and anger? I hit it well, but I was angry. I was jealous, and I and yes, I needed her to compliment me. But then she goes behind my back and starts dating my brother. Like she did nothing wrong. I get it. I don't. She doesn't need to ask my forgiveness. But I was desperate. Right? I, I, I was competing with my brother and I kept failing. This is what I've learned throughout my life and this is what you know too. We are all desperate for perfect love. To be loved unconditionally for who we are, that people will recognize our values and look past our weaknesses. That's what we want. That's what God offers us. The good news is there is a Jesus, there is a reason why Jesus called His news the good news. It is that the almighty mighty Creator loves you unconditionally, as only a perfect Father could. Because us fathers, I love my sons. we're talking about daddy issues later in this series, and I'm trying to write these sermons, and I'm like, I can't I can't relate to this. These dads that abandon their kids, I. I have never felt an emotion as strongly as I feel love for my sons. But I can't even love them enough. In my humanity, I am too imperfect. I am too flawed. I cannot love them the way they need to be loved. This is why they need a relationship with God. Because only he can love them the way they need to be loved. John writes this. See how very much our father loves us for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize him. They don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. We say God's love is unconditional, but it's more than that. It's unconditional, so he'll give it to us no matter what. But in addition, the way he gives it to us is perfect. His love is perfect. Dear friends, we are already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. There's a a famous love story you may have heard. It's of an old couple in a nursing home. And this old man is telling his wife the story their love story how they came together and how they lived their lives together and the problem is the old woman who is hearing the story of their lives has dementia and she has she doesn't know that the story that he's telling her is their story right and so he goes on and he tells her this story about he he was from this small town and she was from a wealthy family and her wealthy family one summer traveled to this small town and uh, was vacationing that summer in this town. And the young girl from the wealthy family and the young guy from a poor family fell in love with each other. And the girl from the wealthy family, her parents were not happy with her being with a boy from this poor family. So they decided to end their summer vacation early and they go home. And as they're driving off to go home, the boy says to the girl, I'll write to you every day. He did. The problem is the mom intercepted all the letters before they got to the girl. So she didn't know. Anyway, long story short, the the boy and the girl end up together they, they figure out they really are still in love after all these years, and they get married, and they have kids and grandkids, and then they end up in this nursing home. And he's telling her this story in the nursing home, and then she has this moment of epiphany. This cognition washes over her as she's listening to this story, and she realizes this is our story, isn't it? And he says, yes. And she says, how long do we have? He says, last time it was only five minutes. And so in those five minutes, they danced and they reminisced about the life that they lived together. But just as the cognition came, it left and she forgot all about it. Didn't know who this stranger was who was dancing with her. And she began to fight against him and fight against the others. Anybody know what story this is? No, this is your story. Okay, yes, it's the story of the notebook. But this is your story. All of us, have had this same experience with God. A God who loves you perfectly. Who, who loves you better than any could body could possibly love you. Has done more for, new, for you than you can even remember. But life happens and brokenness happens and pain happens. And we forget his love. We forget the things that he has done for us. We forget that he has made us perfectly and wonderfully from the beginning. And we forget his love for us. We we have this dementia. God loves us perfectly, but we forget his love. So still the problem is not God's love. Still the problem is us, is our inability to recognize his love. We become more judgmental and legalistic and angry in our lives. And so even when people talk about God's love, it turns us off a little bit. My prayer is that today that you will have a moment of clarity a, clarity, a moment of cognition from within your dementia, and that you will see God's perfect love for you. John continues, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. We've put our trust in his love. What do we trust? What do we, what do, what do we rely on? for our sustenance, for our life. We trust in his love because God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And we live in God. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. As we are in relationship with him, we also learn to love. We become more like him. This is huge. When we recognize that God loves us perfectly, then our love for others grows more perfect. If we see God's love as conditional, as something that only is given when we earn it, then that's how we will give love. Then our love for other people will be conditional. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence Because we live like Christ here in this world. Such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. I have no fear of rejection by God. Because I know, not that I am perfect, but that his love is perfect. I have no fear of being underappreciated in this life because I know that he loves me perfectly. And I have no fear of punishment because the God who loves me is perfect and he gives his perfect love to me. If we are afraid, it is is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. This is proof that we've forgotten. We don't know. His perfect love. I told you I hated my brother. It's true. Actually, it didn't end there when we were kids. He kept dating that girl. Uh, It actually went all the way through college. It was not until my wedding day that I remember that hatred leaving. There was this moment where, where we were at my wedding and he said some nice things about me and when we were growing up, and then something clicked. Something changed in me, and I went over and gave him a hug, and he started crying, and I started crying, and we both didn't need to say anything, but we both knew we had a lot of regrets about how we had interacted with each other and how we had treated each other, and in that moment, it was like the hatred and all the pain just washed away, and I've reflected on that lot. Why why was it on my wedding day, like right after I was married, that, that this happens. And I think it's because I got the girl and he didn't. No, that's not it. I think it's because something happened when I recognized Darcy's love for me. Like, you're willing to marry me? You're re- willing to give your life to me? Like, we're going into this thing expecting it to be all life. You're, you're willing to 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 put everything else, all agendas else aside, aside and give that kind of love to me, I think it was recognizing Darcy's love for me that made me less dependent on other people loving me the way God loves me. I think when we are loved well, when we are loved even perfectly, we become less dependent on the love of other people, less needy. God's love makes us less dependent on the approval of others. For our happiness. I told you I love my sons. And uh, one part of loving perfectly is discipline. Which seems counterintuitive, but if you're a parent, you know this is true. If I love my children, I will discipline my children. That's part of perfect love. It's not all just kind, neat, gentle all the time. Sometimes there's a heavy hand in love. And sometimes I spank my sons. And you know what I've learned? I've learned that when I spank my sons, they leak. Can you relate? It's like crying and nose and mouth. And it's not so much about how hard I hit them. It's just about this like intimate moment of recognizing a sin and reconciliation and all the stuff that comes as a result of, of discipline. And they're just leaking, especially Titus. It's just like. How can so much fluid come out of your face at the same time? I don't know. It just pours out of his face when he's crying. And the climax of every spanking in our house is what? A hug. That's the climax. That, that's what it's leading to. That, that's the purpose. thats That's where we're going at the end of the spanking. And so with Lincoln, it takes a little bit longer. There's some, he needs to, be angry for a little bit after I give him a spanking. But Titus, it's different. It's like instant, I need a hug right now. I need to know that I'm loved right now, like instant. But with both of them, it doesn't really matter. You know what happens in that hug? Something goes through my mind. I'm like, if I hug you, then all those juices on your face are going to be right here. And I got a meeting or I got to go somewhere. And that's going to be right there on me. Or maybe right here, wherever it is. It's just... For the rest of the day, I am going to bear the marks of your punishment. Everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to see it. So how do I react? Is my reaction that moment... Hold on, Titus. (laughs) Go wash up. Go clean yourself off. And then we'll hug. Is that what I should do? Is that what I do? I know that in the moment the most important, valuable thing that can possibly happen is an embrace. That he knows I love you unconditional. Like, my, my love for you isn't perfect, but I have a lot of love for you. I think this is how a lot of people treat Christianity. They see God as somebody who sees all the messiness of our life, and he says, okay, go clean yourself up, and then we'll embrace. You know the story of the prodigal son? He goes off, he rebels, ends up in a pigsty. He's covered in pig juices, pig food, gross. He runs home to his dad. The story tells us his dad's reaction. What's his dad's reaction? Go clean up and then we'll hug, son. No. He runs to his son in his mess, in his filth, and he embraces his son with perfect love. That's God's reaction to you when you come to him. In your filth, in your mess. Because here's the good news. Jesus bears the marks of our punishment. My love is not perfect. So I want to say, son, go clean up. Before, I want to put some conditions on this love. Jesus put no conditions on bearing the marks of your punishment. Because the theology that says you got to clean yourself up before you can be loved, you got to perfect yourself, can be loved, just leads churches to a lot of separation. We're not given much love because we don't think we've received much love. We're not giving much grace because we don't think we've received much grace. And when we begin to see God's love and grace for what it really is perfect, then it makes us a little more likely to give it perfectly. We will fail we're also being sanctified. We're getting better at it. We're getting more sacrificial. We're getting more generous in our love. If we see God's love as conditional, then our love becomes conditional. But Jesus bears the mark of our punishment. And why? He took our punishment so that he can embrace you before you clean yourself up. That's the whole purpose. So run home to him. In your filth, in your mess, run home to him. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Go to him. We're going to take communion together today. Communion in the Christian church is uh, made up of some kind of bread or cracker or wafer or something and a wine or a juice. We do it with bread and juice here. And those two elements are made to represent the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. The body that is broken, beaten, bruised, tortured. Because his love is perfect for you. The blood that is shed, that is spilled out on the ground for you. That is shed to forgive your sins. To make it so that there is no longer a barrier between you and your heavenly father. That can reconcile you. That can remove the punishment of your sins. No need to be fearful of God. His love is perfect and His love is unconditional. That blood that was shed so that you can have a relationship with Him. Somebody who loves you perfectly. And my prayer is that as you see His love for you more and more, you will be less and less reliant on this world. Less and less reliant on the approval of men more focused. Set your eyes on things above and not on things of this world and more focused on Him. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your perfect love. I remember your unconditional love. God, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for rebelling Forgive me for being selfish. But I thank you for loving me anyway. God, for anybody here who does not yet know, intimately know, does not have a relationship with your perfect love, God, I pray that right now you will extend to them an invitation, that your Holy Spirit will do what I cannot, that you will speak to hearts right now, that people would see this as an opportunity, as a moment to run to you, to say yes to you, to invite you into their lives, to begin a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.